Or you can stand through the whole sermon. It's okay with me. You know, it's up to you. Joyce says that if I tell you that there's... The sermon isn't very long today. That's the kiss of death, and it's longer than ever. So I'm not saying that. Just in case anyone was wondering about that. The battle belongs to the Lord. We all believe that, but we also understand that some of those battles are harder than other battles. Some of them are uh, a lot tougher than some of the others. And the one that we're talking about today is one of the toughest. And it's also one of the most common. Almost 21 million Americans have at least one substance addiction. 21 million out of our population, that is roughly somewhere around 350 million. And that statistic doesn't include other forms of addiction, such as the 200,000 Americans that are addicted to pornography. We spoke about uh, pornography and other uh, sins related to sexual immorality for a few Sundays in this series a while back, looking at sexual immorality in general, looking at um, uh, homosexuality and that subject, and then also at the gender confusion that's going on in our country. And so today, we're not going to focus on that one today, more on substance abuse and addiction But I did want to share this um, statistic that was a real eye-opener for me. Around 35% of all internet downloads are pornographic. I don't know if that surprises you. I mean, I'm fully aware of how prevalent the issue is of pornography. But I would never have guessed that that would be that high. 35% and more internet downloads are pornographic. That says something about our society. But again, today we're looking at more substance abuse and addiction. This comment, addiction or substance abuse disorder, SUD, is a chronic mental health condition because it affects the brain's normal functions. A substance use disorder compels someone to repeatedly use substances, or engage in behaviors even though they have harmful consequences. Addictions can destroy marriages, friendships, and careers, and threaten a person's basic health and safety. I think that's something that really hits you when you say it out loud that way. Those who are engaged in a substance abuse disorder continue to engage in that behavior even though they have harmful consequences. And I think for the most part, most people would acknowledge that, yes, this is bad for me, or they may not say that they have a problem, but what they do say is that this is not ideal. (laughs) And yet, continue doing that. And that's the power of an addiction. It controls us. And we lose control. And Christ loses control. I know this firsthand, that there are consequences because I am the product of a broken home and the adult child of an alcoholic. I've shared my story a lot, and so I won't go into depth, but I will say this. 
Um, the only time my father stopped drinking for any amount of time at all was right after he had been baptized, the same night that I was baptized as a high school freshman. My sister, a high school senior, and my mother was restored. But then he went back to drinking and lots of steps that were taken to try to bring him around, and he never would, and my parents divorced in my sophomore year of high school. And I remember telling that story at church where we were in Arlington years ago, and, and I've shared this before, but I shared that on a Sunday, and then on Monday morning, first thing, there was a lady that came to the office, and she came into my office, and she closed the door, and she sat down, and she said, my father was an alcoholic, and you are the first person I have ever told that to. One of the things that we'll look at today about addiction is that the person involved can think that it's a bad thing, but many times they will feel like it doesn't affect anybody but me. And that's one of the lies that we'll look at today that Satan tells us to try to convince us that we really don't have a problem. By far, alcohol is the most commonly abused substance in the United States. The next three are nicotine, cigarettes, marijuana, and opioids, prescription drug abuse. As of 2020, over 28 million people, 12 years old and older, reported struggling with an alcohol use disorder. That's about 10% of Americans that age. Over 14 million are addicted to alcohol. According to the CDC, over 140,000 people in the United States die from alcohol-related causes each year. 144,000 every year. And that's not counting all of the broken marriages, all of the job losses, all of the friendships lost, all of the relationships lost. That's just 140,000 deaths. So how can we overcome this curse in our land? How can we help each other be set free from the bondage of addiction? That's where we're going with the message today. But first of all, let's name and answer the lies. Naming and answering the lies. The first one, you'll notice that there's a blank there, and that's not one that I'm going to fill in, actually. Blank will satisfy me and will fill the emptiness inside. That's one of the lies. Whatever the addiction is, if it's alcohol, then that beer or that uh, bottle of wine or that hard liquor, that will satisfy me. That will bring about the fulfillment and fill the emptiness that I have in my life. And it might for a few minutes, a few hours. C.S. Lewis talks about it as in these terms, someone taking a, a, a little child playing with mud pies out in their yard and someone coming and offering them a day at the beach to be able to build marvelous sandcastles and everything and they say, no, I want to stay here and play with my mud pies. That's what it's like trying to fit that addiction into that blank that only Jesus belongs in. 
blank will satisfy me and fill the emptiness inside. And so we settle for that bottle or we settle for that uh, drug or we settle for that uh, marijuana. And in process, it's taking the place that Jesus so desperately died himself in order to fulfill and take. But that's the power of an addiction. Another lie that we tell ourselves is, I'm not addicted. And that's called denial. And as you've heard me say, denial is not just a river in Egypt. (laughs) Some of you will get that around 2.30 this afternoon. I'm not addicted. I don't have a problem. Oh, sure, I drink some. Oh, sure, I might get high every once in a while, but I don't have a problem. I'm not addicted. That's denial. One of the things I love about the anonymous groups, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, Sex Addicts Anonymous, Celebrate Recovery, all of those and some other resources are on the sermon outline today. But one of the things I love about them, we tend to joke about sometimes, but it's something that I think is done very deliberately and is incredibly important. And that is when someone goes to a meeting and they say, I'm John, I'm an alcoholic, and everyone says, hi, John. And we think, well, that's no big deal. It is a huge deal. Because what they are saying there is that I have a problem. They have put denial behind them. To some degree, just by their very presence there. But then the first words out of their mouth when it's their turn to speak is their name. And I am an alcoholic. I am a drug addict. I am a sex addict. That is huge. Huge. The first of the 12 steps from Alcoholics Anonymous says this. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol. That's the first step of the 12. That's where you start saying, I don't want that to be true anymore. And the first step in getting there is acknowledging that that's where you are right now. Powerless. Powerless. I remember Joyce's dad who has passed away in 2011... And wonderful man, and he was a smoker, lifelong smoker, except during those times when he quit (laughs) for a while. And one of those times that he quit, this is what he said. He said, I looked down at that little cigarette, and I said, that little cigarette, that little tiny thing is controlling me. And that's not right. And he was just stubborn enough and independent enough that that's what did the trick, (laughs) at least for a while. Denial is one of those lies. Number three, I'm only hurting myself. I'm only hurting myself. No one else is affected by my drinking. No one else is affected by those times where I uh, smoke a marijuana cigarette. Nothing, nothing changes for them. And I'm living proof that everything changes for them. Everything. Everything. It hurts the people closest to you. It hurts the people you work with. It hurts the people you go to church with. It hurts your close friends. It hurts your children. It hurts your spouse. It hurts your siblings. It hurts your parents, your grandparents. It hurts everybody. Everybody. And I think some of the movies that you might watch every once in a while or the books that you might read affirm that. Affirm that. I've shared before about 
the movie 28 Days with Sandra Bullock, which I think is a, a, a very helpful movie to look at her as she uh, is forced to go to rehab by the court. It's either there or jail, and that's the only thing that gets her there. But while she's there, one of the most poignant moments in that movie is when her sister comes and is talking with her, and they have this big blow-up in a, in a session, but then they get together by themselves, and, and, and she's able to see the effect that this had on her sister. And her sister is able to affirm her love for her in spite of all of that. I'm reading a book uh, by Lindsay Sterling, this wonderful, wonderful, talented um, uh, violinist and dancer. And um, she's uh, written an autobiography, the only pirate in the room. There's a story behind that. But one of the things she talks about is her eating disorder when she was uh, late high school, early college age. And later on, after she had gotten help and and was overcoming that and handling that, managing that. Later on, uh, her sister wrote her a letter. And her sister wrote her a letter from this perspective, I forgive you, I forgive you. And she said, I realized I can't go on with my life in a healthy way, and we will never be able to have a healthy relationship as sisters unless I forgive you. And so she wrote her a long letter and she said, I forgive you for all of these things. I forgive you for the time you took our parents away from me because they were so worried about you. I forgive you for the time that I didn't have a sister when I needed her. And for the first time, Lindsay says she realized what her addiction had done, her problem had done to her sister. I'm only hurting myself is a huge, huge lie. But unless we tell ourselves that, we will not be able to continue doing what we want to do and continue in that addiction. Number four, it's not that bad. Everyone does it. Everyone does it. I love the way our shepherd put it in his prayer, Grant Knight that these addictions have a tendency to consume and destroy lives. And that's true. That's true. That's the only end in sight in an addiction. There's no other way that works unless something changes. It's the only destination in that path. But everybody's doing it. I mean, Bill, you just gave us a bunch of statistics about how everybody's got this problem. Everybody's got this issue. It's everywhere. Next week, we're talking about media. Yikes. It's everywhere. Totally acceptable, Bill. Okay, well, let's just assume for a moment that maybe that's true. Does that make it right? Does that make it good? And that's where we get to the second part of our message today. And that is the warnings and calling of Scripture. Because Scripture says very powerfully and clearly, no. That does not make it right. That does not make it good. That does not make it healthy. 
You have a lot of scripture passages there, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'll mention a few and read a couple. And one of those, in fact, the first one is Exodus chapter 23, verse 2, which says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Don't follow the crowd in a court scene if everybody's testifying one thing and it's a lie. Don't do that. The law of God says. Jesus put it this way, there are two roads, right? The narrow one and the, and the wide one. And the majority of people are on the wide road. But Jesus says the right road is the narrow road. And it's not the popular one. And it's not the one that you feel the pressure to get on because everybody else is on it. But it's the way of the cross. In Proverbs chapter 6, the wise man says, you know, you can't put hot coals in your lap without your clothes getting burned. <laughs> Love how Proverbs put stuff, just like your grandfather, right? What do we say? If you play with fire, what? You get burned. You get burned. Oh, I don't have a problem, Bill. Well, okay. Let's say you don't right now. But you will. And that's the scary part. Because when you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And it's a fire we don't have to play with. That's the amazing thing. In our culture, in our society today, you don't have to do that. You've heard me say before, I can't for the life of me understand because of everything that alcohol leaves in its wake, that people would still drink. I don't get it. I don't get it. I go down the grocery store aisle at Brookshire's and I'm seeing a billion options of what to drink. <laughs> and they don't have broken families and broken lives and lost jobs and illness and death in their wake. You play with fire, you're going to get burned. And so will some others. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says you can't serve two masters. You can only have one master of your life. Paul will speak to that in Romans 6 when he talks about how you are a slave to the one that you obey. And if it's that cigarette, if it's that bottle... That's who your master is. Scripture makes it very clear. You're a slave to the one that you obey. You serve the one that you obey. And you can serve Christ or you can serve sin. You can serve self or you can serve Christ and righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 6 are these words, very important words, I think, beginning in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. One of those lists that lists sins... And there's drunkenness on there. 
Verse 11, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And I've heard people tell me, well, Bill, you can't say that the Bible says thou shalt not drink alcohol because I've looked and I've studied and it doesn't. And I'm here to tell you that's right. That's right. In so many words. Let's continue reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Skip down to verse, um, verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And that's the key. Oh, I don't have a problem, Bill. It's not my master. Alcohol isn't my master. Okay, how about this? How about you not drink alcohol at all for three months? How about that? It's not a problem. Oh, I could quit smoking anytime, Bill. It's not a big issue with me. Okay, how about you quit smoking for three months? Three weeks? Three days? Who is your master? That's the question. How is this helping you in your spiritual life? That's another question. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's a passage that tells stories from the Old Testament of all of those that were tempted and fell into sin and And all of those stories in the first part of the chapter are meant to illustrate the point that he makes starting in verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 10, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you what? Don't fall. Because when you're living in denial, that's what's going to happen. You're going to fall. But it doesn't have to be that way. And that's where 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 comes in. One of the earliest passages of Scripture I ever memorized. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful and He will not allow you to be tempted with more than you can bear. But along with the temptation will provide a way out, the way of escape. So that you can stand up underneath it. Now that way out may mean getting help. That way out may mean going to an AA meeting every single day. We'll talk about that one in just a moment or two. Jesus says if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. What is it in your life? That you refuse to deny yourself of. You say, but Bill, it's it's not unscriptural. There's no Bible condemning that. Okay, right. Except for the one that says, is that your master or is that your hobby? Or your activity? I am mine no more. And that's true. But whose are you? You've been bought with blood. Put Jesus in that blank and nothing else. And so some keys to living and walking in freedom. Because that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about slavery versus freedom. 
And if you talk to someone who has been involved in an addiction and still fights that battle every single day, sometimes every single hour, and you ask them about that, they will tell you that it is slavery. It is an enslavement. It is bondage. And I crave to be free. How do we do that? How do we help others do that? The first thing is education. We talked about that some in our class this morning. And, and the idea of once, once you learn about this, it becomes something that's that much more real and that much more dangerous. Joyce and I got married when we were 20 years old. I was not a teenager. I was not a teenager. I was five days past my 20th birthday. <clears throat> We got married when we were 20. At age 22, she started losing weight. And she was this thick at the time. She'd been a twirler in high school. She weighed next to nothing. But she started losing weight. And she started being really thirsty and never being able to satisfy that. She started going to the bathroom a lot. And then she started getting weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. And finally her dad, her dear old dad, not her husband or loser husband, but her dad said, you need to go to the hospital. And so she did, and they did the blood work, and it turns out she was type 1 diabetic. They named it juvenile diabetes, even though she was 22, but it was that kind of diabetes, type 1. And we thought, diabetes? No, she can't be diabetic. She's too young. She's too healthy. She loves Coke. (laughs) But we learned. We learned that it wasn't just something for older people who were overweight, And she's been on insulin injections ever since. Has worn an insulin pump since 2001. But we had to educate ourselves about it because we knew nothing. We knew nothing. Education helps to be able to do what you need to do to be healthy. Learning about your disease, learning about your addiction. Number two is healthy relationships. Healthy relationships. Do you have them? Because one of the things that addictions cause you to lose is relationships. Healthy ones anyway. Not drinking buddies. Not pot party buddies. Healthy relationships. People that will tell you the truth. People that love you and that care about you and want to see your life be on a healthy path to heaven. Number three is one of the things that it takes to have a healthy relationship, and that's open communication. Open communication. Having around you someone who will tell you the truth. Someone who will call you out on the lies. When you say, this isn't a problem, I, I, I don't have a problem, they will, they will fight you on that. When you say, this doesn't affect anybody, it's just me, it's no big deal... They will fight you on that. They will challenge you on that. And they will tell you the truth. Open communication. Number four is avoiding compromising situations. Don't go to those places that encourage you to drink. Don't go to those places that encourage you to smoke. You don't have to. Find those places where you typically are tempted. And put those out of your life. Number five is getting help. Again, the resources are listed there. A-A-N-A-C-R. S-A-A, Sex Addicts Anonymous. Grief Recovery Groups. Get help. This is something you can't do on your own. You cannot. But with the help of God, as we shared earlier, and with the help of others, you can overcome 
Perhaps it's time to do something that we've talked about in this church doing over the years. The whole time I've been here, we've talked about it at times. And that's start using our building for regular support group meetings. I, I don't know how that would work. I don't know when. I know some names of people who could run it. I know there would be security concerns. Sorry, safety team. <laughs> but maybe that's something we need to talk about again. Number six is intentional spiritual growth. Around the table, our brother Matt Haas shared that our sins distance us from God. And that's right. And if you're involved in an addiction or if you're doing something that you know is not right and not healthy and not good and not helpful, and we haven't even talked about the influence you are on others, just ask yourself, is this helping me in my relationship with God? Or is this a barrier, a wall that Matt talked about? Hebrews 5 tells us that by constant use, we understand more about the Scripture. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1, Add to your faith knowledge, and to knowledge goodness, and to goodness self-control, self-control, and to self-control perseverance, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. And if you have these things in increasing measure, you will be blessed. If you're growing in these things, are you growing in those things this morning? And is there something in your life that's keeping you from growing there? And is it something that you, with help, can put out of your life? But you can. If you want to, you can. One of the things I love about this church family is that we have several people here who have suffered through addictions and still fight those battles every day. And I know several of them, and I've talked to several of them, and the thing I love most about them is this, their openness, their willingness to talk to anybody about their addiction, about their journey, and about how they got through it and how they can help you get through it. I love that so much about them. And they can reach people that I could never reach. And they're there for you if you need to talk to them. The truth is we can overcome this. Through Christ we are more than conquerors. You know that scripture in Romans 8 would get itself in this sermon somewhere, didn't you? Through Christ, we are more than conquerors. What should we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? It starts out. And then it asks, who shall separate us from the love of God? Trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our victory over whatever it is. Whatever the temptation, whatever the addiction, through Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul writes. And the final message is this, and it's from John 19, verse 30. And it's Jesus on the cross. Three words. It is what? 
finished. It is finished. He died for your sins. Not just to be forgiven. But so that you could overcome them. And live a faithful, righteous, victorious life. And be his servant for others. If we can help you do that today, come as we stand. Sing this great surrender song.